0: Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve.
1: Welcome to this session on positive sobriety. Uh, My name's Priscilla, and I'm a recovering sexaholic. Um, Daniel and I will be facilitating this session. We'll each share a bit about our recovery on this topic, then we'll take time to answer questions. Uh, it says questions will be from the ask it basket, and I don't see that, so I guess I would just uh, ask everyone, if you have a question when we finish, just to stand up and, and we'll repeat it and so it can be on the tape. In the spirit of the fifth tradition to carry the message, this is the recorded session. The recording equipment will not be turned off during the session. We ask that you please silence all cell phones. Let's open with a serenity prayer. God, grant us serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. That might be done. Sexaholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problems and help others to recover. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. There are no dues or fees for SA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. SA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sexually sober and help others to achieve sexual sobriety. All right, I'm going to turn it over to Daniel.
2: Um, Hi, everyone, my name is Daniel, Daniel. I am a grateful recovering sexaholic. Uh, Hi. Very grateful to be sober for the past three years and several weeks. Um, so the plan was that um, I was working on my ego, this time coming to Nashville, and I had uh, decided not to talk. I wasn't going to talk in any session at all, and I was giving myself a nice egotistical pat on the back for working <laughs> on my seventh step there and uh, being uh, letting go of my ego. And then, about two and a half, three hours ago, Brendan, who's very busy doing a lot of different things, as long, uh, alongside having a pretty bad flu, grabbed me by the shoulder and says, "Will you will you talk for me and positive sobriety, Daniel?"
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and so I went back to him an hour later. Are you sure you want me to speak? I'm really please go ahead. And I'm standing here, and we're talking about something that is actually a very big part of my program. So I'm very grateful to be sharing on positive sobriety. Uh, I think it's uh, it's very much the core of the program of living, the spiritual program of living that I am trying to live um, as an addict in recovery. Um, so I think that um, I've had a few different thoughts. This is totally not prepared, other than what I've been thinking over the past couple of hours. I think par- par- part of what we're talking about, we're trying to understand what positive sobriety is, is I guess trying to understand a little bit about what negative sobriety is um, what is it what is it we're trying to analyze and discuss here and again I'm going to try and do my best and speak from my own experience um, a lot of my experience I'm very grateful that um, coming into recovery I, am, I came in at the the right time the first time I came into recovery I came in at the wrong time um, and so it lasted about three months, I was 23 and a half years old i'm now nearly 44 and uh lasted about three months and immediately dropped that one and went back out there onto the streets because i was not ready for recovery um so i practiced a lot of negative sobriety over those last 17 years slipping and sliding um acting out get things getting worse but um since I came in I was ready to I was ready for recovery. So I don't have uh I I I dove straight in into into full time recovery. So a lot of my experience I guess on negative sobriety comes from uh the people that I listen to in meetings and my sponsees. Um the don'ts, the trying not to's, um, you know, the the gonna stay sober, gotta stay sober, the 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 translation of one day at a time is that I only have to focus on today. I'm not going to focus on anything else. Just got to get through today. Another day sober, and that's not really sobriety. That's that's the opposite of sobriety. Sobriety is a mind. It's 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 a point of of of, of awareness of growth of um, of getting past taking these actions that are against what I want to be and what I want to do, and actually starting to act and think and be the person that I really want to be um, and of course sobriety is multi leveled physical sobriety is just the very beginning I can't even get close to emotional and mental and spiritual sobriety if i don't have the physical sobriety um, so I think that this um, this concept of the don't haves the don't the don't dos is the the negative sobriety I think uh, I think it's good to look at it through, um, through the steps and how I live the steps. Um, so I think the first step is a great example. The first step says that I am a sexaholic. It's at the core of my being. I am, and I have a choice to make. I can either embrace the fact that I'm a sexaholic. It says that God has given me this gift of sexualism to find a path to experience him, and to grow and to be a good person, or I can hate the fact, and I can argue with that fact and say, oh, why? (laughs) I hate this God? why am I sexual? I basically not accept it. I can live in acceptance, or I can live in denial, right? And in my addiction, I lived in denial. And in my recovery, I live in acceptance, and that all begins with my first step. So for me, the positive sobriety in the first step is embracing the fact that that is who I am, and not living in denial of that. That's a key core part of me. right? I have a God-sized hole. I don't know about anybody else, but I have that God-sized hole, and I can only fill it with God. Um, the second step, as my sponsor says, it's the hardest step of them all. It's the step that I work and constantly have to re, uh, realign myself and break away from my old ideas. And the and then the second step for me is um is again embracing that fact that God is absolutely as Harvey loves likes to say hog ass crazy about me. God is hog ass crazy <laughs> about me, and he's hog ass crazy about all of us. You know, um, and he was right there at the depths of the most disgusting things that I did of the craziest things that I did, and it was me that was blocking him out of there. So, again, part of that acceptance. And um, and the negative sobriety there is basically <laughs> fighting that. Is And I hear from, you know, it, it's not being able to completely get rid of all of my old ideas and start rebuilding this new relationship with a higher power who's crazy about me from scratch. Um, the third step you know, you hear a lot of arguments, um, a lot of discussions, but what, you know, and the, the, the 12 and 12 talks about it, right? What about me? I'm going to be the hole in the donut. If I'm just doing what God wants me to do, and I'm only focusing on God's will for me and uh, giving Him all of my thoughts and all of my actions, where do I exist? Right? But that is actually the, that's the greatness of the third step, is that I'm, f- I'm actually aligning myself with my higher power. And doing his will basically puts me into puts me into puts me into a plane of, of of rightness of being right of doing right. Um, again, we're focusing here on positive sobriety. So, with with four through through to nine, that's where it starts to become actions, and that's where it actually because positive sobriety is actions, it's the way that I am living my life. Um, the fourth step for me. Um, it allowed me to get past my resemblance and my fears and to notice them. That was the real miracle, is to actually be able to start noticing that I'm resenting when before I had no concept that I was resenting and to notice that I'm acting out of fear and fear-driven. And before I had no, I had no concept that everything I was doing was driven by fear. Um, and that was the miracle of that. And that allows me to actually live my life in a positive sense of seeing, noticing the resemblance immediately and acting upon it, being able to work my steps over it. Um, And I think six and seven are the core of that. That's where I'm actually practicing on a daily basis that positive sobriety. And it's the actual actions of doing the opposite of what my character defects have trained and drilled into my brain to do Um, so instead of acting upon selfishness I'm practicing selflessness first in words and then in actions and that really is where positive sobriety starts to take off for me that's where I am in my living days in my life where I am being of service to my family to my sponsors to my fellows to the world Um, and 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 it, and it runs through with whatever character defect it is that my particular um, constellation of character defects is. We each have our own constellation. I'm practicing the opposite, and again, same with step nine. Even more so, because step nine basically teaches me, as I was taught by my sponsor, my my first sponsor who took me through the steps the first time, is that my living immense is actually at the core of my step nine. And that means that I'm not acting out of, uh, uh, the, it, well, I, first of all, I've accepted the fact that I'm a sexaholic. I've embraced it. So I'm not in any shame. Um, I'm not in any guilt. I take responsibility for my actions. And I take the actions of love uh, through my living amends on a daily basis to embrace that um, uh, those actions in actual in my actual live living so I think step nine is uh is a massive massive part of of, of, of my positive sobriety um and then uh, you know ten eleven and twelve is living it and for me uh um, it 's all tied back into the first you know the for ten it 's all tied back into four to nine um and for eleven um it's that. Uh, it's that conscious contact. It's the only. It's the. Fo- it, that's that's the core of one day at a time. That's the core of where am I? And what time is it? As Mike C talks about a lot. It's where am I? I'm here. What time is it? It's now. That's it. It's getting right into this present moment and being of maximum service to just take the next right move. Don't have to do anything else. Mm-hmm. Don't have to focus further than the next right move. And 12, carrying it into all of my affairs. Actually living it. In my house, with my children, being the opposite. My uh, my wife was a single mother for nearly 15 years. Now she's not a single mother. She doesn't live alone. She has a partner. And um, so, yeah, there's a, you know... There's, there's a lot to say, um, but, um, for, for me, uh, I think I, I can't live in the negative. I can't live in, the, I can't live in the don'ts. In my early sobriety, I had to have a lot of don'ts because I had to create this safe boundary for myself to recover. And that's okay. It's a process. In early sobriety, I had to go to an extreme to get back into the middle. I had to not look at anything. It was the only way I could learn how to see without looking um, but it brought me to a place through practice um, to actually gratefully living a life which today is filled with service and love and doing the next right, the next right action so I'm very grateful to have had the opportunity to speak and uh, thank you very much
1: I I really, as I wake everybody up, um, I wanted to bring my uh, clock up here because uh, once I start talking, I tend to talk and talk and talk. So I just need to kind of keep an eye on myself. Um, When Tom called, uh, Tom's one of the coordinators of our conference and asked if I would, would share on this topic I kind of chuckled, and he said, well, you're always talking about gratitude in meetings. So I thought, you you know, would be perfect for this topic. And I see those of my friends who uh, are here in Nashville smiling because they know that that's what I talk about a lot. Um, When I first got in recovery, I was leading what I heard later on, that I was leading a shouldy life. I should do this. I should do that. I shouldn't, you know, on and on and on. And that's how my brain worked. It wasn't because I was connecting with anybody or with a higher power. I was doing it out of guilt or out of shame. Um, I went back and was looking at some old journals. By the way, I hate to journal. I hate to journal. However, it is a wonderful thing to do. Um, And I'm particularly glad early on that I did journal because uh, after I'd been sober three months, I wrote that I was so frustrated because all they talked about at the meeting was gratitude. Uh, Huh, ironic, right? But I think I'd been so full of fear and uh, shame and guilt, it never occurred to me that there were good things happening in my life. And as I looked again at some of my writings, I realized how much fear I had when I came into the fellowship, that I was afraid that somebody would find out my secrets. Um, I walked into my first meeting, I was the only female, and I thought the men were changing all the pronouns to make me feel better. I didn't. That was such an ego thing for me. Um, but one of the worst things happened, about 20 minutes into the meeting, someone from my church came in. And I went, oh, no. And I thought, he's going to tell everybody at church. And then I went, well, no, he won't, because then he'd have to say where he'd seen me. So I figured that was probably going to be a pretty safe secret for me. Um I did call him that night and just said, I don't think I can do this forever. And he said, oh, you don't have to do it forever. It's just one day at a time. Well, I must tell you at the moment that wasn't very comforting. Um, I was like, okay, fine. But looking again back through my first few years, so much fear and so much sadness. And yet, inevitably, anytime I wrote about that, I would have talked with a friend in the program and she would always, always, always have me do a gratitude list. And I just like, oh, fine. But you know, once I started doing a gratitude list, I realized how much good I had in my life. There may be all kinds of junk going on around me and yet, I today I can see, I can stand here, I can hear mostly. Um, getting older is kind of hard sometimes. Um, but just, you know, I used to think having gratitude meant just big grandiose kinds of things. It's just the little day-to-day things that I'm so, so grateful for today. As um, I've been... <clears throat> I guess in recovery about four years, and my sister was diagnosed with cancer. It was the same week that we found out her daughter was pregnant. And she was not, my sister was not expected to live more than a couple months. But with a good doctor and good medicine, and I'm convinced a lot of prayers, she lived not only to see her grandson born, but got to be there at his christening. I think that was angels in the life. I, I just believe that. And I've learned over my life that I hear God speaking to me through people. Um, in the meetings, there's a, a line from um, uh, the play Les Miserables. It's called, to love another person is to see the face of God. And for me, it's hearing another person is connecting with my higher power. Because when I'm in the midst of my insanity... I I can't always sort through things, but if I can hear somebody in recovery, that helps bring me back. Um, One of the things that is so helpful to me, and many of you have heard me say this, and you'll get to hear me say it, I'm sure, other times. Uh, Again, back when I was about three months sober, I walked out and I heard birds singing. I thought, wow, listen to the birds. And I went, huh. I guess they'd probably been singing before. (laughs) I don't think it was the first day. And through my therapist and through uh, recovery, I learned to be able to see what was around me in nature. And so when I'm feeling really distraught, one of the first things I do is breathe. I always take three deep breaths, no matter what, if I'm feeling crazy. The second thing I do is I look outside and see a cloud or a tree or whatever. And then, you know, go through the five senses like you were like Daniel was saying. Just bring yourself back to the now because in the now, the fear can just be set aside. You know, it doesn't mean the fear is going to necessarily go away, but you know that you can be safe and you've got a connection with your higher power. Now, as I was looking on through um, my my list uh, and my uh, journals, I found myself continually writing I'm a good and worthwhile person. I'm a good and worthwhile person. I'm a good and worth because I didn't believe it. I just did not believe it. Talk about the negative thinking. My brain, I love my family, who've now passed, but It was all about drama and, you know, the victim kind of mode. And i would lived that way for a long time, and I didn't want to live like a victim. And so realizing that people weren't being mean to me, I just was allowing negative energy around me. So writing that down multiple times has helped me come to accept that. Again, living in the positive place. I can live in the negative pretty easily. Like oh, and when I realized I started to say that living for me, living in negativity is living in lust because I'm wanting things that I don't have, and lust for me isn't about sex. Lust is about any kind of break in connection with my higher power. If I'm focused on the Titans winning tomorrow, the football game, that's really lust. Pardon me? Go Titans. Yeah, go Titans. Um, If you're a Baltimore Ravens fan, I'm really sad for you. (laughs) But if I just stay focused on that, then I'm going to miss the chance to see all the people around me here this weekend. I'm not going to be able to connect with people because I'll be so focused on the game. And I've learned over the years that whether I cheer at the game or not does not determine whether or not they're going to win. Um, I used to think that. (laughs) Talk about a big ego, you know, just. But again, it's having, breaking the connection with my higher power. Or if I'm thinking about uh, what I'm going to, I've got a friend staying with me. It's like, okay, if I focus on, I've got to have the right things for her to eat and where am I going to take her so she'll enjoy herself and blah, blah, blah. Again, that's kind of lust. I'm not connecting with my higher power. So for me, it's really important just staying in the moment. Um, a, A note that I wrote for myself is when I, one time I was really just distraught early in recovery, and I called my sponsor, and she said, how do you imagine your higher power? And I said, well, for me, I kind of imagine my higher power kind of like what I think of as kind of like um, a, an older man with white hair and, and a beard. And she said, well, just imagine climbing up in God's lap and letting him rock you. And I did imagine that. I used to think it was so crazy when people told you to talk to your little kid or, you know, whatever. Well, it really works. It did for me. And that was so comforting. Uh, Another thing that connected with me is I had a hard time with the third step. Giving my, turning my will and my life over the care of God as I understand God. And the reason was um, it felt like I was going to be alone. If I gave all of that to God, then here I am, you know, kind of vulnerable. But my Esenon sponsor shared with me a great vision. She said, imagine God is your dance partner. You know that if you're giving over leading to God, he's leading you through the dance. So you're not alone. God's leading you through that dance. And that was really helpful to me that, to know that, I, that God really is with me all, all the time. Another note I made just a minute ago as uh, Daniel was talking was uh, when I talked with sponsors, it's like, well, I'll try to write, or, you know, I'll try to call you. And one of my favorite quotes is from Yoda, and it's, do or do not, there is no try. And so it's good for me to remember that I can say all the things I want to, that I'm going to try to do something, but Positive sobriety for me is something that I'm going to do. And if I have to tell you, if I'm in a meeting and I hear people kind of going on and on about the problem, it may be manipulation, I don't know. But I am going to speak next. And I'm going to share about the good things happening in my life and try to move things in that direction. Because to me, a, a drunk meeting is a meeting that stays in the problem. Um, if you're standing in the problem, why bother going to a meeting? You know, we, we all know what the problem is. That's why we're in those meetings. And so looking, and that's one of the things that I'm really happy in Nashville, uh, that that's, you might talk about or share your top plate and into the solution. I had the, the great gift of uh, going to Europe this fall and doing workshops in five countries. And I will say, without fail, in every single meeting, one of the things they talked about was ending in the solution and you know, in, in their shares. The other thing that I learned is service work. You know, when I was fortunate and was asked to go, I thought, oh. you know, they first asked me to go to five countries. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, that's fine. And then I got to look at the count. I'm like, oh, gosh, I don't know if I can do that. And I contacted um, one of the coordinators and I said, you know, I'm just not sure I can go to the last two countries because that means I'm going to be gone five weeks. And he said, well, you know, you did commit to them. And he said, and you're going to be well taken care of. No matter where you go, you're going to be well taken care of. And he was absolutely right. I counted just off the top of my head Over 20-plus people either picked me up at the airport, helped me go sightseeing, uh, took me to the airport, took me to the train, and just gave of themselves of the service. And so one of the ways you can stay in positive sobriety is to do service work. If somebody asks you to lead the meeting, say, okay, I'll do it. Don't sit back there and go, well, I've only been sober a few months, I can't do it. Or if they ask you to help with setting the room up. Anything that you can do to do service is living in positive sobriety. If somebody says, who's willing to be a sponsor, I hope your hand goes right up. Harvey Asher said one time, you know, you... Have more sobriety if you got one more day of sobriety than somebody who's asked you. And you hopefully have a sponsor. And so if you don't know how to answer a sponsee, go, you know what? Let me check with my sponsor. And I'll get back to you. So that's how we carry the message. We don't keep it, it's a it's a I program in the sense that you have to take care of yourself and do recovery. And that also is we, because carrying the message is what helps keep this fellowship going. I think back of the folks who early on, like Sylvia, like Harvey, like all the folks who've been around for um, for a long time, if they hadn't hung in there and they hadn't been willing to share, we wouldn't be here today. And I, I just thank them for their willingness and their service. Uh, so we're all in this together. And we don't have to try. We can do it. You came here. And that's amazing. And so I just want to thank you for uh, having a chance to be together, um, for me to get to see familiar faces, people that I've talked with on the phone and now get to put a name and a face together. It's pretty awesome. So I'll end there. And I think the microphone probably comes loose. No, no. Uh, no we don't come
2: with the microphone they'll
1: ask questions. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Cool. Uh, So I'm going to hush and we have um, a little over, around a half an hour for questions or comments. And so any questions or comments or how you do sobriety? Yes, sir.
4: I'm Melda,
1: and I'm a sexuality. I um,
4: You talked about um, your focus on the game, or your focus on, uh, on this. How do you <clears throat> serve what what under the... Uh, I don't know if you'd like to say... Not necessarily present, but under the, the same part of, like, just being involved with something that you're interested in or whatever, and when it's, like, insane or over-the-top, or over-the-top is, like, more sensible, but, uh, but just, like distracting you like because the the example with the game is like understandable but the example with the friend is like you think I will think that I would I would even do service to my friend right but I'll be over the top and get insane um
1: the question was how do you um how does how do you define lust in terms of if it's just something that you're doing good and involved in as opposed to kind of just worrying about what am I going to do next. I think you referenced like me in the game, you know, hoping that the Titans win tomorrow or preparing for a friend to come. I think for me it's about, um, Daniel, you may want to answer this as well, but for me it's about if it's just in your brain over and over and over and over. You know, I think with the game, is like, yes, I might think about it, but it's not like I'm obsessing about it. But there have been times if I've had people coming, that's all I can think about, is what should I do next? What can I, you know, get ready? And, you know, so it just is something that you can't let go of. So, like, I can let go of the fact that I want the Titans to win tomorrow. I might go back and think about it, but it's not going to just be constantly staying in my brain. Does that help?
2: Thank you: Yeah, no, I mean, you, you said the exact word that I was going to actually bring out, which is that um, for me it's where the obsession comes in,, yeah. um, because uh, my sponsor this morning he said uh, w- uh, he said that he, oh, he in thirty one years of sobriety, he only ever obsesses about things that he can't change <laughs> <laughs> and he hasn't been able to break that rule and um and i think there's a very subtle difference between me in my planning mode where i've got to get ready you know i'll be thinking about it for a few days nashville I've got to get this plane I've got to get to this time that's not an obsession because i've got to get to those points where it where where whereas it's something like uh, obsessing about my relationship with my wife or respect, obsessing about um uh, a, a particular um resentment with with a friend that i might have that's where it's basically beyond my Control and when it becomes an obsession, a lot of the work that I've been doing, especially more recently in recovery, is becoming mindful of the fact that it's an obsession and noticing that I'm obsessing and then actually letting go of it. And there's different tools that I have to let go of the obsession, which is basically, Thank you, God, for this thought, I'm going to give it back to you. That's the tool that I found. Thank you again, and I, and I you know, the. the there was there was one particular scenario that happened to me and I, I found I, said, I must have said it fifty sixty times in my head over a period of like eight to ten hours thank you God for that thought I'm giving it back to you and the obsession was removed every single time so it's all that's all part of becoming more mindful about my actions and letting go of the obsession which is really where my brain is and for me that actually uh, I always say that's for me that's the unmanageability factor of being an addict is that I have this obsessive thinking, this brain that won't let go, and that's that's unmanageable. It's an unmanageable life where my brain is fixated on something. Where's my? Where you know? Where am I? I'm not. I'm not present, and I'm not now.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Other questions? Yes, sir. How do you manage to when you are really down and you are ashamed of yourself?
3: And you, you want to
1: have a big pity party. I'm really good at pity parties. <laughs> um, I used to be. Um, the question was, how do you pra- practice a positive sobriety when you're feeling really down on yourself and find yourself kind of in a pity party? Um, one, one thing that works for me, my sponsor suggested, is writing down three things that I like about myself. And that's really hard. I can tell you in a blink 10 things I don't like about myself. Sitting down writing three things that I like about myself is a little more of a challenge. And it's really helpful. I had a sponsee that tended to stay down on herself. And so for about a week, I had her write down different things. And it's just to switch that thinking from when you're feeling really negative about yourself I mean, we. I can't change what I did in the past. I mean, I, I don't like it. I would like to shut the door on it, but if I do, then I won't remember how awful it was. Um, but I can't change it. All I can change is today. The other thing that's really helpful to me is if I'm having a pity party, is I set a time limit for myself. It's like, okay, I'm going to feel like crap for about a half an hour. I'm just gonna feel really sorry for myself. I don't like what's going on, um, you know, whatever. And at the end of the half an hour, then I kind of go, okay, here's some things I'm grateful for. Or, you know, make a phone call. But staying, for me, staying in a pity party for the day is, is really self-defeating. Anything you want to add to that?
2: Um. Yeah, I really, I remember early on in my sobriety, um, I called up one of the old timers in Israel. They're a little younger than the old timers in Nashville. But he had a, he had a good 10 years or whatever. And he told me from his experience, um, that self-pity was like, um, was, was, it was like an orgasm for him. It was that, it's like, it was part of that whole, uh, that part of the disease. It really struck me. Um, and from, for, for me, I remember, My own experience was that when I was in self-pity, the last thing I wanted to do was pick up the phone when a sponsee called me. I just wanted to drown in that self-pity. And the one thing that actually took me out of that self-pity was picking up the phone and getting out of my head and speaking to that sponsee and listening to their story and giving them of the solution. For me, living in the solution is how I practice my positive sobriety. Um, and that, that ties in with, with living a life of service. As long as I'm not involved in myself, I'm pretty much outside of self-pity. Next question. Yeah. So they say
1: that love and tolerances
3: are good. Um how, does you, how do you work out positive sobriety for tolerance, part?
2: <laughs> so the question was about love and tolerance being our code. How to work on positive sobriety, with the tolerance part. Um, I, I think it's a great question because um, I find myself very intolerant a lot of the time, and I, um, especially and, and and I have a cutting, sarcastic kind of response to most you know to most of it. I can be really. With a smile on my face, even though I'm, most of the time it's in, it's in text form, most of the time these days on WhatsApp or whatever. But um, but that's not really being tolerant. But it's uh, for for me, I I practice it by noticing it, by noticing that I'm being intolerant. And I find also I talk about it with sponsees as well. That's it's just a lack of tolerance. Like that's it's going it's going back to that, um, um, it's, it's it, you know with resentments they talk a lot about resentments being a premeditated expectation. Hmm. So I realized a few weeks ago that actually in all resentments, there's an expectation. If if I've already come to resentment, that means there was an expectation that I now need to look for. Something. And as simple as expecting that person to be something that they're not. And that really ties into tolerance for me because learning to accept everyone. I mean, we're, you know, we're a great bunch of people. We're also a really sick bunch of people, you know, (laughs) you know, and and that's me, right? That's the resentment prayer in a, in a nutshell, right? Is that how, is that uh, just to love them for who they are as a sick person. How can I be helpful to them? That's the only, that's the positive sobriety and tolerance It's not only tolerating them, but actually how can I be helpful to that person? Mm -hmm. Add
1: something onto that, um, Somebody or several folks have shared in meetings that one way to kind of um, deal with tolerance if you're in a discussion with somebody is go, you might be right. You know, and just when they say something that makes you, you know what, crazy, just go, you might be right. The other thing that works for me is if I have, um, I'm around people that I really disagree with philosophically. And it's one thing to have, like, a conversation, discussion with somebody that I don't agree with. But when I realize that they're pretty set in their belief and I'm pretty set in mine, I just go, you know what, we're going to have to agree to disagree. And if they keep on just go, you know, we're going to change the subject now. And people don't know how to respond to that. But there's no point in me staying in resentment and anger because I'm not going to change that person no matter what good arguments I give. So it just it's really this past year has worked wonders for me. And the other thing around tolerance um, is I have to remember if I'm getting really angry at people who are intolerant, I'm intolerant of them. And it's kind of like, yeah, you know, it's kind of like, oh. And for me then to, I don't like to say the word have to, it's important for me to pray for the person that I am really don't like. And it helps. Um, I usually have to go back and pray for that person again. But anyway, yeah. Angel, Hey.
0: Um, I wanted to follow up on that. I'm really grateful for your leads and the questions. The,
4: the past year for me has been this drama of like, what does tolerance look like? What does loving, the other person look like positive sobriety? Because I, I've been tr- trying to get into the same place in my head. I right? have power, power to get me there as far as tolerating the person, accepting a thing of a particular person, but not tolerating abuse towards me. Uh-huh. So, which in this case, He's verbal, you know, uh, but I, I just take it very hard. Um, and, and I will go very quickly to the negativity and start taking his inventory, and thank God I'm not like him. <laughs> um, it, and it's, it's easy to see. Uh, it's, it's not the right path, but on the other hand, it's kind of where I'm at sometimes. So, uh, I, I don't know. I, for me right now, positive writing looks like first accepting where I am in the process of the journey. Being grapevine, clocking on the Mm -hmm. jaw—you know, not gossiping as a way to revenge—it's all up here. So it's not ideal as for me. And then praying the four-step prayer: this is a sick person. Help, help, help them. God save you from being angry. I will be done. But sometimes I, I realize I say wait, I I say all those things, and and I do the not actions. I don't gossip. I don't punch him. but i need to find the positive right in there i also need to find the positive actions as far as loving him in this particular relationship uh it's been well i can't change him he showed me who he is i gotta accept that and then setting boundaries and working my own program. but i wanted i was just wondering what your experience is, is that kind of kind of an established situation like this, mm-hmm. this is someone at work i see all the time so it's not, I don't know. What does positive sobriety look like
1: when you're in the moment of the moment? So, the question is basically what does positive sobriety look like when you're in a relationship with somebody you see at work or all the time when they're wanting to cross boundaries and you're trying, you're doing things like you're not gossiping, you're not doing the negative things, but how can you do a positive thing? One thing that's been helpful for me is doing a four-step on that person. And because I then start seeing what it's really hitting me. It's usually fear of something, that I'm not good enough or whatever. And then when I start seeing what my part is, it's like, oh, hmm. So it sounds like you're doing some really good, healthy things. For me, it might help be helpful to write about it. The other thing that is helpful to me is is just to journal about it, and a lot of times when I'll journal and then I'll go, God, I just want to give this person to you. You know what's best for them. You know the book talks about praying for that person, what you would like for yourself. For me, it just works. God, I'm just giving this person to you because you know what's best for them, and because I figure God does know what's best. Um, it may be things I want, it may not be, but Anything, Dan, you want to add
2: to that? Um, no, I would just add to that that um, it's kind of a reminder that not to bring other programs in to our discussion, but we all have their non-problem as part of our disease, which is the, the, the other side. We all have whatever it is, the relationship issue. And one thing is, you know... As, You know, I smash boundaries, <laughs> and learning how to keep boundaries is something that um, that actually I, I I learn much more in my uh, non-work, um, and uh, and and it's a very key part of it. And uh, and and it's it's a very sometimes it's a very delicate balance because in my essay work I have to practice absolute selflessness, <laughs> um, and in my non-work I've got to actually assert my own position in this world and that's why it's that's why it's actually very important because there is is in what can end up being an abusive relationship i have to be able to make my surroundings safe for me and i, I you know i i i would do i do that in my in my my own work which is what i call it yeah thanks for the
3: question hi my dear sex holiday i i don't have a question as much as i want to affirm everything you do Brought out today, I mean, it's just beautiful. Okay, you you really got a positive story to, to translate. I normally don't take notes, but I got a whole page here, and I'm afraid I'm going to get some more here before I get out of here. <laughs> but I, I really like the part you know, I can't control anything except where I am here and what time is it now. <laughs> you know, it's my little mini hula hoop. And uh, I love that. I'm going to take that with me. I've got a lot of other notes here. Um, also, the point you made about you know, the, the spirituality the connection with our higher power—I, I, uh, you know, the thing on birds—you know, hearing the birds—I remember. You know, before I had my last fall down, even recovery allowed me to hear the outside world, the creation that God made. And the beauty. And everything that he brings into this world is beautiful. All of us here, everything. And and I just, I I remember in my morning prayers, I look out the window and I see his Garden of Eden yeah. in front of me. You know, it's my front yard, but it's still my Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful. We, even if there's snow on it. Yeah. You know, I mean, but. <laughs> You know, uh, I, I, I just love the uh, everything you guys have shared, and uh, it's just great. Thank you.
2: Thanks so much.
1: Thank you.
3: Thank you. Other questions? Comments? I second that. <laughs> Thanks, Ellen. So <much>. Hi, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, sexual sobriety, um, so over two years and eight months, and able to maintain that but I have issues with uh, my child that I've found out the truth um, many times I just try to tell a person that I like the truth and I find it hard to tell the truth I'm wondering what I can do what I decide I can do uh, to avoid facing the things she hates the most
2: it break up our marriage the truth she thinks and I just want what can be done up, uh, thank you so, so the question was about truth and um, being sober but still having that pattern of dishonesty that can be so destructive it could end up breaking up a relationship um, I think that uh, w- one 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 recollection I have, I have one sponsee who, um, uh, who that was one of his biggest demos. I mean, let's just be clear, okay? as a sexaholic. When my mouth moves, <laughs> I'm lying pretty much, okay? So that's an active that's an active addiction, right? We are. I, I, I mean, talking for myself, I'm a liar and a thief. That's what I am. Um, so yeah, it was definitely ingrained from an early age. Um, one of my sponsees came to me and he very similarly said, you know, I've noticed. That I'm saying these half truths, these mini lies, and I'm digging myself into a little hole with my wife, and uh, what do you, you know, what do you think I should do about it at night? And the, the, the answer that came to me, and I, uh, when I try and give an answer, if I don't have an answer, I'll try and shut up, and if I do have an answer, I try and just be a channel for the answer. And the answer that came up to me was that the moment that you notice that, admit to it. Admit it to her. Um, because that's really bringing... The, I, I see that I just said half, I, I, I said something that wasn't completely honest. Because it, really what it is, it's the, it's the honesty. It's, and I'm working on becoming honest. And I'm just <laughs> very used to being dishonest. But I'm owning it. I'm owning it immediately with you. And I'm telling you straight away that what I said just now wasn't exactly the truth. And that already is... That's, that, that's the relationship building because I've now told the whole truth. Um, yeah.
1: I, I'd like just some clarification on that. Were you um, saying that you have um, started thinking about or found out some things that happened to you in the past as a child and not sure how to tell your wife, to, or am I just reading something into your... My father says, Don't trust your on my and I
3: what he my head. That's where I'm Right. I it's like... You're in business, you your wife is your partner. And you want to trust everything that you're trust. And then occasionally, you do something wrong, but not perfect. Sex and all. And you worry that, oh, wait a minute, I'm going to rule my marriage if just take the right path.
0: You take the wrong
3: path.
1: I, I, I'm not married, but I think, like Daniel said, just being able to have honest conversations even if they're scary just kind of set aside a time and just kind of go let's set aside a time once a week so we can just you know have some conversation you know just about um, what's going on with the business or whatever and just set aside a time that you're not you know running off to work or she's got to go somewhere you've got it. so you have like a, def- a definite time where you know you're just going to sit down and talk i think that's to me, would be helpful. Um, and, and I think you're right, just honesty. Or like if you have made a mistake, just kind of go, I am so sorry. I wish I hadn't done that, but, you know, I'm going to try to do, you know, not try, I'm going to do better. <laughs> you would have reminded me. Yes, sir. You know, I think in my own personal experience with all the things that my addiction has done, lying well,
3: to my wife and the lack trust is what's really devastated her,
4: mm-hmm.
3: almost more than anything, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, you get in the pattern of lying, and it kind of, it's easy, if you've got a good memory, because to be my age, you can't lie to me, you only lie to remember what you said the last <laughs> time. so, but I think in my, my relationship with my wife, that has been the most damaging.
1: Yeah, That makes sense. We've probably got time for one more question or comment. Well, then I think it's time for us to close. Anything you've heard at this meeting is strictly the opinion of the individual participant. The principles of SA are found in our 12 steps and 12 traditions. Let's close with a third step prayer. Let's all stand up.